You're listening to Jumping the Wealth Curve with your host, Edward Bow. For most of my life, I've been riding and racing dirt bike motorcycles. So it was natural to say, jumping the wealth curve. I'm jumping something all the time on the dirt bike. When he's not on his bike, Ed is helping families retire successfully as a certified financial planner and five-star wealth manager at Smallwood Wealth Management. There isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for everything. So we're talking about finances and a financial plan. We need to stay flexible. Jumping the wealth curve is designed to help answer your retirement questions. And especially in today's world, everything is so stringent and everybody's so, ugh, let's just talk. Now, here's your host, Ed Bow. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Jumping the Wealth Curve. So really appreciate you taking time and joining in today. I'm going to talk about something maybe a little more topical here that markets has been showing some pullback recently. We had some volatility, I think, back in December. And coming into now the middle of January here, we're, we're seeing some, you know, some major down days here. You know, when I say major, and this is a good, maybe a good thing to talk about too, is, you know, I think we were down 900 points at one point, which I think was equated to about 2% on the Dow. And of course, these numbers look really big. I mean, in the last probably five to 10 years, you know, you're seeing these big point movements. So when I say that, it's, Market's down a thousand points, and oh my God, that is a phenomenal headline for TV and newspapers, and it, and it gets everybody kind of stressed down. Not not to say a thousand points isn't a big move, but it is. But it isn't from a percentage perspective. You know, if it's a two percent move on the index, you they they make it sound like it's a fifteen percent move, some crazy. And it would have been 20, 30 years ago. But now where these indexes are from a valuation perspective, a 500-point move, a 1,000-point move, they're not anywhere near the top 10 worst days in market movements. So you got to be really careful about that information you're taking in and look at it from a percentage perspective. Let's just start with that. So we've got some stress going on in the market. You know, there's there's a lot of things, there, there's a lot of factors, I, I think, that are coming to a head here. If you talk to many advisors, we probably all in the same camp that we're waiting for these kind of pullbacks in the market, right? And let's talk about pullbacks for a second. Pullbacks are actually kind of healthy for the market, right? You know, you, you, you kind of have to do a cleansing sometimes. You got you to get things back to more normal levels, right? And not only in the markets, but through a lot of things in your life, there's kind of like an average that we always talk about. There's market averages, and I'll give you an example. Price earnings ratio on a stock. So what's the company making compared to what the actual valuation of the stock is? So price earnings ratio. Historically, in the S&P 500, which is an index of 500 different stocks, historically, the average has been about 16%. Okay. And if you looked at the levels where we've been at recently, you know, a lot of stocks, if we talk about Teslas and the Googles of the world, they're much higher. But for most of the index stocks that we're looking at, they're north of 30%, 30 32%, somewhere around that range. And that's usually when you've seen other pullbacks in the market. When valuations start getting that high, you start getting worried. Now, when, I, when I brought up the other ones, you know, the we call the Teslas and the Googles, you know, these, these tech stocks, and they're up. Their PE ratios are not even close to 32%. They're like, you know, 300%. It's just, it's, it's almost non-reality, okay? It's fictional, but we'll, we'll consider them outliers or just different animals in themselves. But when we get these above averages, what the trend is, is that it always tries to get back to the mean, which is the average, 
Okay. Now, let's say we're getting a little, we're getting some pullback in the market, and now this these P ratios are starting to come down. You know, and all of a sudden, what you would like to see is that oh, it starts kind of levelizing at at that average of sixteen times, but it never does. It, it, it's there's peaks and valleys, and and, and like I said, <laughs> let's let's talk about my weight. You know, um, <laughs> there's peaks and valleys. Sometimes I'm up a little higher than I want to be, and then I start losing weight, and I lose some more. And there's probably an average that I'm kind of looking at, right? But these P ratios, for example, you know, maybe they come down to 16, and they probably go below the the 16 average. And now we're at, you know, now we're almost discounted too much, and now we've got bargains, right? So then people kind of buying back in the market, and that that P ratio starts going up. And again, it just doesn't stop at 16, and it usually keeps going up. So it's like a wave going up and down and up and down. And you, you probably equate, I know you could equate this to a lot of things in, in life, all right? Like I said, a lot of if you talk to a lot of investment providers, we probably you know I I've been looking at this and going, oh my god, you know P P ratios are been way too high for too long. But there's other there's other factors that could play into this. You have uh, quantitative easing coming out of out of the government. They're they're basically the quick gesture on this is that they're injecting money into the economy. Okay, so there's plenty of money in the economy, and that means people have accessibility to. To money, over, you know, through loans and 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 such, and it's heating. You know, people are spending money, and that's how this economy works, right? So, but they're talking about basically stopping that by the end of the first quarter. They were talking, you know, slowing it down, stopping it. It was supposed to go to the second quarter. They with with inflation. If you haven't heard, inflation is reared its ugly head. We're seeing inflation numbers that we haven't seen since 30 years ago. So their way of doing that is we, well, we're not going to keep injecting money into the economy. We've got to pull back a little bit here, right? Which the markets generally have not liked that. They've liked quantitative easing. I didn't think it would be happening so soon. I was going to wait to the end of the first quarter because I was going to see how this thing started playing out, but it's playing out earlier than we thought. Surprise, surprise. And think about it. The markets are a forecasting tool. Markets usually tell you what's going on in the economy and in, in our country probably six months in advance. So that's that was the old adage back, you know, since I've been on Wall Street and, and in this position, it's it's a six month forecaster. So again, I think the market's been overheated. You know, the, the, we've had one of the best 10 year, maybe a little bit more periods of, of market returns almost ever. Okay, and then what's really interesting is the ten-year period before that. So if you looked at two thousand to two thousand ten, it was called the lost decade because there was really no returns made because there was two dips in that ten-year period. So the market went down in early two thousand to two thousand three, it rallied back, and then by two thousand eight, it was it dropped again. Of course, the big financial banking crisis, and then it started coming back in 2009 and 2010, but where it started and ended was virtually the same place. So there was the lost decade of, of really no return for your investment, right? And then you had this basically period after 2010 to present that was pretty robust, very, very robust. If you if you heard me a few minutes ago, it's like, and I and you see it, there were there's this cryptocurrency, you see all the stuff going on in, in the markets and some of it's not fundamentally based. So like, hey, how, how good is the company? Let's go buy the stock. I said, you know, it's either undervalued or I think they're gonna get bigger. It just seems that there's so much money pouring into the markets. Plus, where do you find income, right? When interest rates so low, 
bond returns aren't what they used to be. As we know, let's put it into simple context. You, you go buy a CD right now, you're not getting really any good return on your money. You're lucky to get 1%. So where am I getting return on my capital? Well, that's why everybody's been going to the markets. Markets look good. Markets have been doing great. Awesome. Let's pile more money into the market. At some point, there is going to be some sort of correction. And so I said to you before, corrections are <clears throat> are good. It's kind of like... I stopped drinking alcohol since December 26th. I'm still clean. I'm kind of cleansing the body out. Okay. Same concept. It's, it's like we got to get things back to normal, normal levels. Not that I drink a lot. Okay. <laughs> but it's an analogy. We got to get things back to normal levels. So maybe this is the being of it. Maybe it's just a temp, you know, maybe it's just a, a short temporary thing, uh, you know, decline in the market. But most pullbacks in the market generally are temporary, okay? One of the things that have concerned me as of late is that when we've had some dramatic pullbacks, the return back to the prior levels has been just as quick. And that's kind of not what it's been in the past. Usually the declines are a little steeper, a little more abrupt. And then to get the return back to where we were and then moving higher takes a little bit longer. So here's an example. 2018, uh, last quarter, market was doing okay. You know, some returns in the market coming into the last quarter of 2018. And then by Christmas, December 25th, market's down about 22%. So we end the year down. And then for the first month and a half, January and February, we recoup 17 or 18%. Now, we're not back to normal, but it kind of took the sting out of that last quarter. And that last quarter was pretty, you know, that... Basically, that happened over about two, two and a half months itself. So that was pretty quick. And the return was starting to come back. It was, it was you know, recouping a lot of the loss, not fully, but it, I kind of say like it didn't really feel painful to anybody, right? Not that I want them to do, but in the past, that's not how it's happened. Like 2008, the banking crisis, you know, that took, market was down 32, I think it was 32% at the end of 2008. And that took, a good portion of that year, you know, it was a little, it was definitely, there was more ferocity to it coming into the end of the year, but it was down about midway through the years, started going down. And then, uh, you know, we had troubles with the banking and we had companies going out of business. And, and then the first, up until March 9th, because we know the data now, up until March 9th, from January 1st to March 9th of 2009, we were down another 25%. So let's put that in context, right? So, You've got a million dollars. I'll use big numbers. You're down 32% on December 31st. You've got $680,000 in your account. Okay. And now I'm down another 25% after that. You're down to $470,000. So are you scared out of your mind? Absolutely. That's, are you in retirement and, and now worried about running out of money? Absolutely. So, and now think about 2020, March of 2020. Basically, the market is down 32% in a three-week period in March. I have never seen anything like it in my life. It was the most ferocious downside we've ever seen. And then we did have a re very nice recovery for the rest of the year and in actually into 2021. Now, remember, it was three weeks it took to take down 32%. It did take longer. It didn't take three weeks to get back <laughs> to even. And by the way math and money aren't the same thing because 
if you're down 32%, you need exponentially more return to get back to even. Here's the simple math. I've got $100. I lose 10%. I'm down to $90. I make 10%. I've got $99, right? I've lost 10. I gained 10, but I'm actually a dollar less than I was before. It's the same concept, right? So we had, uh, you know, it took a little bit longer, but, you know, when we had a, and it was a strong recovery. I mean, after who knew what was going to happen to pandemic, I think there were so many unknowns in that. And it's really hard. So let's get back to right now what's happening. You know, so we got stress in the market. We've got, you know, inflation numbers. They thought it was going to be transitory, meaning it was just going to come and go. Now they're now all talking a different tune and they're saying, no, we don't think it's transitory now, which has got the United States government worried. It's got the Fed worried. Right. And by the way, let's talk about inflation for a second. Right now, I think the number a couple weeks ago came out, you know, it's 7%. Just so everybody understands, that does not include food and energy, which is probably the two biggest things that affect everybody on a day-to-day basis. Those two are up actually much more dramatically than 7%, which means your inflation number is higher than 7%, okay? The reason why they don't include that number in what they call core CPI is because those are susceptible to natural disasters or natural things happening. So in the food industry, you could have uh, maybe too much rain and it kills all the crops and like that's an act of God, right? Uh, same thing with the, with the energy. Maybe we have um, some hurricanes and stuff down in the Gulf and taking out oil wells or stopping production in oil wells, et cetera, et cetera. So you get, you get my point. And that's their thinking. But what's reality for us is that we're actually experiencing much higher than 7% inflation. So Federal Reserve talking about raising rates next year. Raising rates means it's going to cost more to borrow money, right? You know, that will slow down the economy. Right. Like, you know, if it's it's more expensive to get that 30 year mortgage for your house, you know, that will slow down the housing sector. OK, that was so all these what they call overheated things that are happening in the economy, they kind of slow it down. And here's the juggling act. How do I do it without pulling back so much that the economy just grinds to a halt? And that's not good for the country either and for people and wages and et cetera, et cetera. So that's what the Federal Reserve grapples with. But with interest rates at virtually lows here, you know, they have to start raising them anyway. Again, talking about a healthy economy and a healthy economic system, you need to have some higher interest rates. So there's a lot going on. I know I'm, I'm talking a lot and there's so many things going on. So for me, short term, I think this market pullback is, is, is always a good thing. I always joke. Money's very personal. I, I kind of use this analogy, you know, when the market, let's say we'll just use 2020, which is probably a bad example, but let's go with it. You know, the market's down 32%, three-week period. Basically, the clothing store is having a, a huge sale and they sent you a coupon in the mail and said, hey, take another 25% off our sale price. You probably can't run to the, you know, the, the mall fast enough. Why am I dating myself with the mall? And, <laughs> and buying some clothes from this store, right? It's a for sale sign. When the markets are down like they were, it is a for sale sign. You've got, you got valuations back down lower. Like, let's think about it. Like, maybe I wanted to buy a stock right now. And I'm, I'm kind of like, wow, you know, those P ratios are too high. Stocks at an all time high, probably not the best time to buy it. Right. But then the, the market has a correction and those prices come down because of the correction. Like, 
And now what happens is that fear creeps in and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know about the unknown, what's going to happen, this and that. But we just talked about how the stock was at a all-time high, this and that. It's actually a cheaper thing. If you still like the company, you should be going out and buying, investing in the company. You have to have conviction. So these pullbacks are a good way to kind of cleanse the market out, gives us a buying opportunity, kind of gives us a chance to reset portfolios. So, you know, and the hard part is, believe me, 2008, you know, staying the course, oh, you know, it's, it's hard. That's why you need different things going on in the portfolio, not just the investment portfolio, your overall financial plan. Do I have different income streams coming in? Do I have where I can take some risk on the portfolios because I have some guaranteed income coming from different sources like Social Security, pensions, other things? This is where the overall plan starts coming into play because we're looking at it from a macro. The investment account is a micro decision, but looking at the plan, it's a macro. So how does that strategy in the investment account match up with everything else on here? It has to match up with what we talked about last week, the insurance strategy, right? There's an insurance component, you know. We did a great webinar this morning on long-term care. So how does that fit into my plan? And, you know, reeling back in, I always, you know, I like to use that term. I'm going to reel it back in here. So how I have my investments and how I can weather the storm, do I have other things in my plan that I can get through these downturns, right? Is my risk adjustment correct? My risk assessment? Do you have a tool to really understand that? A lot of people in the industry give you a two-page questionnaire. The market was down 20%. What would you do? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Right? <laughs> what you do now and when it's down, if it's a month from now and the market's down 25%, you maybe give me two different answers. So you need to work with somebody that really understands this and has some tools and resources that actually can help you understand this because it's very, it's almost psychological. I'm gonna be honest with you. It's like psychological. I get put you on the, got to put you on the couch. Get my yellow pad out. Get to really understand you. With that, I, I think we've talked enough. It's just hey, let's right now. Let's uh, our radar is up. We'll see if these are just some. Um, and we will have volatility this year. Volatility means up and down markets. And I can even show you in in a normal range of years, if the market was up 12% that year, you might have had a um, ride through a down 15% in any given year. There's a lot of intra-year volatility normally the last few years. Again, in this kind of 10-year period, that's kind of one of the outliers of 10-year periods of return. There wasn't a lot of volatility. And, and I, I think people have gotten used to that too much. There's volatility normally in a year. So my thought here is let's see where this plays out over the next month or two. And maybe we'll get a better idea of what, what's going to happen. Maybe it's just some temporary volatility. But if it is temporary, you know, it may be a little bit of a buying opportunity because I know I've had money, you know, cash sitting on the sidelines. And maybe I love to buy on dips. I hate to buy on up days, I'll be honest with you. So with that said, we're going to keep going. We're going to go WFO, wide effort open for the rest of the year. I was kind of going hard on this one. I know I was kind of talking about a bunch of different things, but there's a lot encompassed in, in this conversation. I just want to give you tidbits and little pieces. So let's keep going. Let's make it a great year. And thanks to my Curve Jumping Nation for listening in, as always. Have a retirement or financial planning question for Ed? Connect now at smallwoodwealth.com. And while you're at it, click that subscribe button. 
Jumping the Wealth Curve is brought to you by Edward Bow, an investment advisor representative of Smallwood Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone, and the information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives, and it's not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action, as information and or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Smallwood Wealth Management provides content that is true and accurate as of the date of publishing. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this website or podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, including, but not limited to, any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, misleading, or defamatory statements.